The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. CIO Talk Radio is sponsored by HP Data Center Services, Cloud Computing Services, and Workplace 360 Services. Are you ready for an instant-on world? Welcome to CIO Talk Radio with your host, Sunjo Gall. All comments, views, and opinions expressed on this show are strictly those of the host, guests, and callers. Here's Sunjo Gall. Good morning and welcome to CIO Talk Radio. To learn more about the show, please visit www.ciotalkradio.com. Today's topic is how to build the next gen of IT leaders. And our guests for today's show are James Knight, who's the global CIO with Chubb Insurance and is also the chair for SIM Board of Directors, which is Society of Information Management. Good morning, Jim. How are you? Good morning. How are you today? Very good. So you come back relaxed from long weekend and ready to charge? I did. I did. I'm looking forward to the uh, next hour and the conversation we'll have. Beautiful. And we also have June Drury, who's the former global CIO with the Chubb Group of Insurance Companies and is also a very well-renowned executive coach. Good morning, June. How are you? I'm fine today. How are you? I am just doing fine. Beautiful weather in Chicagoland. Couldn't, couldn't, uh, after the show, I'm just thinking of going out golfing, sneaking out. That's not going to happen, though. <laughs> yeah, what can I say? Yeah, and I also have Sasi Pillay, who is the Chief Technology Officer uh, at uh, National Aeronautical and Space Administration, which is also NASA. Good morning, Sasi. How are you? Yeah, good morning, Sanjoy. How are you doing? Very good. So are you also trying to sneak out, or you have some work to do? Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> Work is always there, you know, especially these days when you're always connected. So, yeah. Oh, yeah, totally. See, I told you, don't use that BlackBerry and those, you know, handheld devices. They come to haunt you. Right. <laughs> yeah, so uh, the topic uh, that we wanted to discuss today, and this is something which is uh, actually the pain is being felt uh, in the business and IT community. And uh, we want to see that what is that secret sauce of building the high-quality next-gen IT leaders that we see today, or many of those we don't see at the level that we'd like to see today. So with that said, Jim, I'd like to fire away with the first question. Uh, we are looking at the business and IT environment, which is changing rapidly, and everybody knows. And earlier it was a new normal, now it's a now normal. It's here to stay. Now, if you already have the right fundamentals, would you really want to change your leadership style if you were a successful leader earlier is there going to be a different breed or a different flavor of leadership style that you want to see today? Are there, are there some core fundamentals changing? Well, I think it's a great question. I think the, you know, your core values need to stay the same. You know, and hopefully you're a good leader. You got here, got there by a certain set of core values and authentic leadership. But I think how you use uh, your toolkit of competencies around leadership is really what may change going forward or will change, I think. You know, IT uh, is, you know, against conventional wisdom of, uh, let's say, five to ten years ago, is becoming more and more strategic. And the landscape of the speed by which, you know, IT has to do what it has to do uh, is ever-increasing. 
uh, technology changing exponentially, and everyone, especially information-based businesses like Chubb as an insurance company, uh, see technology as a, uh, like I said earlier, strategic to the point where there's a technology arms race going on, especially when you consider analytics and big data and um, anything that kind of makes the individual company more intelligent in terms of the business it does. And therefore, that puts IT at the forefront. And, you know, managing uh, at the rate of change that IT is going through, managing at an equal level with the business units, and uh, having that broad view of the company, which is somewhat unique to a uh, IT leader, um, is going to really push the envelope in terms of the leadership competencies that are required to uh, really, uh, you know, propel IT forward and do what it needs to do to help its respective company. June, uh, the question for you here would be, is that is the volume of work which is warranting change in the leadership style? It is the variety of work that is changing, requesting that leaders change the way or the very mechanics by which IT used to deliver value and are expected to deliver value is changing is what's warranting the change. So um, I think in the in the past, IT was um, dubbed as being, you know, the techies in the organization. And then we had a, a huge trend toward um, understanding that IT needed to be much more business savvy and the, and the focus went on business savvy. And I think maybe even pendulum swinging too far there that with the complexity and the speed and the, the um, strategic nature of IT today, um, there, there are so many opportunities that abound. The challenge is now that the IT leader really has to be um, both technically savvy and business savvy and has to understand the integration in, um, of those two items and has to be the, the company leader in that area. Sassy, when you look at the responses, or as you heard the responses from June and Jim, do you think we have to just change because this new variety of environmental uh, parameters are being introduced? Did you not think that we have seen this before in terms of, okay, something changing, we have to maneuver through, and as a leader, we are adept at doing it, so what's so different here? Well, uh, if I could take a step back, and when I look at IT, um, I look at two major components, what I would call commodity-oriented services and then true mission-enabling type of services. So as a CIO, previous CIO at the NASA Center, and now as a CTO, what I look for is where can I bring value to the mission of the organization? And when I say that, um, when I look at the commodity or in the services, I look for the best sourcing strategy to reduce the cost expended in delivering those commodity services with the appropriate service level metrics and so on and so forth. Uh, because it's not a uh, it's, it's not a differentiator from you to from another organization. So what you need to do is to make sure it's a reliable service, it's available 24/7, it is accessible by all the business units and so on and so forth. But bottom line, you're not adding, you're not creating a differentiator, and that's not one of the things that's going to distinguish you from another organization, especially if it's competing in the same space. So now IT has a second role. I think Jim and June um, um, 
uh, spoke about it. Uh, basically, uh, that is the role of how can we make the pie, the businesses in much larger. That's where the strategy of IT comes into being. So when you're looking at a leader for IT, you should one should consider someone who has a wherewithal of where the business needs to go, understand the vision, and how IT can essentially propel that organization to reach that capability and be able to provide a differentiation with other competing organizations in the same market space. The commodity services, we need to manage that. Obviously, that's the table stakes that is required for a company to survive, an organization to survive. So when you're looking at leadership, the new leader has to have the business skills to understand what the business is about, how the new technologies and IT can be used to create a differentiation and then look at uh, the more cost-effective methodologies for sourcing strategies for commodity services. June, imagine there were closed-door conversations, I'm sure uh, you must have had with your executive management in the past and all throughout your career. So, say, 10 years ago, if you had a closed-door conversation, what was asked of you as an IT leader to deliver? And did you feel that the, the team and you yourself had the required capability and the competence to be able to deliver it? And where do you see that requests or the quality or the variety and the volume of requests changing by the executive management targeted towards IT leadership in a closed-door environment? And how competent and, and, and uh, do they feel? And how resourced, uh, you know, how much resource is allocated to that for them to be successful going forward? Well, um, I think things have changed dramatically in the, in the last 10 years. Um, and we've talked somewhat about it moving uh, into IT being much more strategic in its application, um, it being more of a partnership. There's more of an understanding uh, of technology by the business and higher expectations, frankly. Uh, we've moved in the last 10 years significantly from um, – let's say, uh, a majority of, of back office functions more out to the front office um, and um, several products uh, that wouldn't be able to be uh, created or sold um, unless without the uh, involvement of technology. Uh, so I think that's changed dramatically. I think in the past we were quite capable, um, regardless of the experience some people may have had in some companies. I, I do think the um, technology group was, was well prepared. I honestly think they're as well prepared today. And I think that how the uh, senior executives feel about technology is highly dependent upon the technology leader in that company. Um, it's um, the building the right relationship, having the right business savvy, um, and having the right leadership uh, principles and uh, characteristics that m make someone seen as a partner in the business as opposed to, you know, a service organization that's nothing but an expense to the business. Uh, and I do think that's changing. I think it's changing dramatically, it has over the last several years. So, Jim, could you possibly help identify, say, the top three or four core foundational elements that form the very basic principles that a good leader goes by as he or she leads the troops in IT today? Uh, sure, sure. 
I think, you know, since it's qualified to IT, I think uh, a couple of things come to mind. One is clearly, you know, self-awareness and authenticity in terms of your leadership style. Uh, but that's kind of foundational, I would say, for any leader. But clearly uh, a change agent and being able to manage change, not only at an organizational level, but within yourself. Uh, the IT function is, is ever-changing. Uh, the leadership or the, the inclusiveness of many parties now to get the job done, be it, you know, uh, uh, software vendors, be it outsourcers, be it uh, data providers, whatever it is, you know, becomes, it's, it's, a, it's a web or network of uh, strategic partners that really is what's going to make it successful. With that brings that much more um, leadership challenge because you manage each one in a different way depending on how the relationship is. And then your own staff, you know, where it's uh, to, to, you know, uh, cite um, Sashi's point about commodity versus strategic, you know, keeping the folks that are involved with commodity work, which, you know, uh, is less challenging, but you want to keep them as motivated. So I think, you know, those inspirational skills, change management skills, authenticity, and the ability to understand the landscape from a political point of view also is important as um, one challenge we face in IT that I would suggest no other, let's say, uh, business function faces is um, IT literacy amongst the business executives. You know, I'm kind of, as a CIO, I'm required to understand finance and basic marketing and sales and for an insurance company underwriting and claims, where it's not as much a requirement for the business community to understand IT. Um, and... I think as a CIO, it's my job to uh, promote IT literacy, and that's something that uh, requires good relationship skills and, and uh, understanding the business so you can bridge that gap. Let's take a quick break, listeners. We'll be right back. And Sasi, when we come back, the question I'd like to pose here is based on the principles that Jim mentioned and all the other discussions that we've had during the first segment. What is it that you feel is typically seen existing and or missing in these next-gen IT leaders that you see? And if we had to look at a way to measure what is the level that they have, is there is there some sort of a, an approach to that that's available today? And if at all you find that the person does not have those core traits, do you think this is a nature versus nurture issue and so we just... Do not invest in that individual for them to be actually become a viable candidate as the next generation IT leader. We'll explore when we come back from the break. Please stay tuned. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now. Toll free. 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. in an instant-on world, mobile and connected. To compete, you want data center flexibility so you can adapt quickly to changing business needs while keeping information safe. Introducing Enterprise Cloud Compute Services, HP solution for managing secure servers, storage, and networks, delivered as a service. Pay only for what you need. Create order out of chaos. The instant-on enterprise is here. Are you ready? Start shaping your cloud at hp.com. We live in an instant-on world, mobile, connected, and fluid. 
Competing in this world takes a special kind of workplace technology that adapts to change, that allows seamless and personalized interaction. Introducing Workplace 360, HP's full lifecycle desktop management solution, delivered as a service. User subscriptions allow you to gain financial control and flexibility. The Instant On Enterprise is here. Are you ready? Visit hp.com for answers. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to CIO Talk Radio. To learn more about the show, please visit www.ciotalkradio.com. If you have a question or comment, call toll-free 1-866-472-5790. Now back to the show, here's Sanjo Gall. Welcome back. So, Sasi, the question here is that we have spoken about some of the core principles. Are there ways to measure and or gauge someone's capabilities and or how do they measure up against these principles as a, a next-gen IT leadership candidate or a prospect? And then right. if you see those people not measuring up to that level and they have some core traits missing, is it worth investing in that person and or find a way to repurpose or redirect his or her skill set somewhere else? Right. Oh, um, a good question. And I, I want to refer back to what Jim said earlier uh, about a CIO's role. And I completely agree. The CIO's role, in my mind, is a change agent. But in order to be able to be a change agent, you got to know where you are and where you want to be. And in order to where you know where you have to be is understanding the nature of the business and how IT can contribute, uh, how it is doing today, and how it can do tomorrow. In that context, I look at the CIO as a leader in IT to have some basic fundamental skills and be able to understand what the IT technologies are and what the prospect for the future is. Without the ability to vision what the future is and guarding IT, you cannot be a good change agent and help your business. Uh, so I think uh, June also mentioned that fact that hiring a person who only has the business side of the house, the business savviness in terms of being a CIO is, is uh, in my opinion, very significantly lacking. Now, on the other hand, there are also technology-oriented people they're much more interested in pursuing technology, looking at advances, and they have no interest in correlating the possibilities with the future of the business. And in my opinion, those people can still be a major contributor in the IT organization. However, I don't look at them as being uh, at the next CIO. So if somebody's interested in these types of things, it's important for the, the current CIO to sit down with people and do mentoring and coaching. I remember when going back to the example of what should I do with commodity services to be more cost-effective, I was able to do that at, at one of the NASA centers. And as a result of that, I was able to redeploy well over 25 people, uh, civil service billets, which, as you know, is pretty hard to come by, in other what I would call mission-related IT now, some people had the skill to do that, and some people didn't, and I send them to additional training so they have the ability to do that. And then the other thing is that some of these technology-based people have to feel comfortable in the business environment. So I try to partner them with the business side of the house so they are working on common problems which requires IT to solve, but they, uh, our employees, and at the same time, they were learning what the business side of the house or the mission-oriented side of the house is wanting to do. So by creating these partnerships 
at all levels in the organization costs, makes the CIO organization, the IT organization, to be, uh, to be viewed as more valuable and contributing as opposed to an organization whose expenses we need to manage down to zero. Mm-hmm. So, so, June, a question for you. Uh, imagine we were to draw a parallel with a, a high-end or a very well-renowned university which is churning out high-quality leaders. It's made be Harvard or any other organization that we may know of. The way they, to some extent, are able to create that high probability is by checking the intake of the type of people they are going to even induct. Do we have today, in your view, which is a little more formalized versus informal, or it depends on people by person by person, a way to gauge who even is worthy of investing in the precious time that a senior IT leader might have to to convert into the next successor who would do equal or better in terms of performance as an IT leader? Um, I believe we do. Uh, I believe we do. I've been uh, part of several companies um, uh, over the last many years, uh, in, and in each of those cases have um, been responsible for making sure that um, not just myself, but the people who reported to me had a good succession plans, right? And in every one of those companies, although the styles and the formality um, was slightly different from one to the other, I believe we had the right balance of uh, looking at their um, achievements, their results, um, their um, brand that, that relates to the more... Um, technical aspects of the work and the more leadership aspects, their ability to uh, have a team orientation, their influence skills are clearly looked at nowadays as we create more and more complex organizations um, with less and less position power, then we're needing to select and groom people with greater influence skills. Their um, relationship management skills, and their self-management skills. I believe those are given today um, as much weight and as much um, um, concern for selecting and developing the next uh, uh, CIO or, or, or successor at the highest levels of an, of an IT organization. I'm not sure there's enough formal um, education around that. And I'm quite sure from what I see with people uh, coming through the uh, learning forms that Sim offers, the leadership forms, I'm quite sure that um, not enough personal time is spent around areas like politics and reading people and things of that sort. Um, we, we tend to select, I think, appropriately the people with the right skills. I'm not sure we're spending as much time as we could or should in developing um, uh, more um, skill within the areas of the softer skill. Now, Jim, if you were to really take on uh, a next-generation IT leadership, IT leader prospect and, or a candidate, and you had to start mentoring that person, would you really want to set an expectation that an IT leader is different from other types of leader? Do you think that might take him in the wrong direction? Yes, you did mention an inventory some of the areas in which IT needs or IT person needs to know more than the rest of them. But as far as leadership goes, by pre-qualifying it with IT, 
does that make it a different animal? Uh, the answer is yes and no. Basically, it's no, though. Uh, it's the same. Leadership is uh, about, at the end of the day, moving people to do the right thing uh, for the company or the vision. And, you know, the circumstance by what you're exposed to is different in IT maybe than a given business unit. But uh, I think the leadership skills are the same, um, you know, with, like I said, more emphasis on, on, on what the specific IT team is up against. If it's a steady-state team, you know, just keep the, keep the lights on, so to speak. That's one thing. If it's a highly, highly, um, you know, uh, transitional or, you know, a lot of uh, new development and, and a lot of innovation in terms of moving IT and moving the business forward through IT, it's a different, you know, you tap into different leadership skills. But, you know, June actually, I think, touched on a lot of it perfectly. You know, the self-management, uh, the influence management, uh, all kind of play into this. Um, where it's different is it's just that the, the, the broad-based view of the IT leader and dealing with uh, many more different constituencies, I think, uh, is where the challenge is what makes it different than maybe uh, other business unit leads. Now, Sasi, when you go about uh, coaching people and, of course, leading people, and then you get opportunities to perhaps mentor and uh, build next generation IT leaders, do you think a person like you who is in that position and some a number of people are looking up to you to get to the next level themselves, how do you further your skill sets? I'm sure nobody is perfect. <laughs> so how do you hold up a mirror up to yourself and say, okay, I'm supposed to be next to God to this guy who's trying to get direction from me, mm-hmm. and I am trying to grow myself. So then how do you remain objective in terms of where your uh, shortcomings could be, which you are working on, and you do not teach him the wrong game, game of golf? Yeah, and, and that, that's a good question. Uh, the, I always felt the best way to learn is to teach. And and quite often that also exposes some of your own uh, blind spots uh, because other people are willing to help you because you're helping others. But fundamentally, um, I think June talked about this also in terms of the soft skills. I mean, one of the things I feel every IT organization, every employee in every IT organization should take are three fundamental courses. One is communication skills, one is negotiation skills, and third is customer orientation. Uh, because we come up in the technology side of the house without any of these skills, and they're so essential that they're essential not only in your professional life, but they can also re- you can reap benefits by having those skills in your personal life as well. Uh, because that ultimately all relationships have, is about that. You, you know, there's a customer, there's a provider, and so on and so forth. And ability to negotiate appropriately is so critical in delivering value um, because sometimes the value is not very clear. We need to be able to communicate what that value is and then hold ourselves accountable to make sure we deliver that. So these are, in my mind, fundamental skills every technologist has to do. And then as part of that is what I would call testing out good prospects is to align them with mission-oriented or your customer-oriented organizations and see how much initiative these individuals are willing to take. And I think as far as being successful, you have to take what I would say calculated risks. If you're the type of individual who only kind of goes very incrementally, 
uh, from your comfort zone, I, I don't think that person is going to be a, a, a change agent and a significant leader who can bring significant value to the organization. Now, when I'm talking about risks, uh, I, I meant calculated risk. It has to have some basis by which you're making these uh, risks and, and, and be able to change yourself. Um, I think Mahatma Gandhi is the one who said, if you want change in others, you have to demonstrate that yourself first. Now, to that, this is very important, because, June, I was just about to ask you this question, that how does a leader today show by example or lead by example? Because you could have a session like having a shrink with you for as many number of days or months, but then if they don't see things in action, and somebody else showing them how to do it? Because you cannot teach a kid how to ride a bicycle in a seminar. you got to demonstrate it. So how does an existing leader demonstrate and or a group of leaders demonstrate to a prospect who has the potential to get to the next level of leadership, but perhaps is getting too many sermons and not enough practice and or practical demonstration? So this is where leaders have the, the biggest challenge in my mind, and that challenge is that they've got to learn to let go. So they've got to learn to take things that they are much more comfortable um, knowing that they could do it themselves, and they've got to uh, assign this as developmental exercises um, to people who they're grooming, who they're developing, and they've got to act as a, a coach, kind of let go and let that person have their head and do the kinds of things that that would be done at the next level of their um, career and give them a chance to actually experience it with, with the same um, authority that you have. You know, you can delegate that authority to them. You can delegate those tasks. And it's not a delegate and walk away, but a, but a coach to be there to, um, to help review the things, their thoughts um, on how they're going to tackle it, their experiences, some advice, um, especially around the area of political savvy, develop uh, the, the context with them of what they're going to see, what they are seeing in critical meetings, um, why that's occurring and how they might choose to handle that in the future. Those are the kinds of things that can only be done one-on-one. You can't go to a course for that. Uh, it's one-on-one uh, development with you and, and your most valued high-potential assets. Let's take a quick break, listeners, and we'll be right back. And, Jim, I'd like to ask this question. Suppose a person really has the potential and wants to change, but many times either they do not have access to the resources or people who could guide them and or they cannot change the environment so that even the learning that they get from that group who is willing to teach, they're not able to apply. So, so, so then there are so many constraints outside of the fact that they cannot find somebody to coach them. How does a person change their environment change the parameters that are governing or stifling the learning and perhaps identify the right set of people when all these three things happen is when there is a there is a possibility of this person growing to the next level so what is being done by people who have uh, you know maneuvered all these through all all these challenges and have been successful in turning themselves from being just a step up leader to an actual producing and a successful leader please stay tuned we'll be right back Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. 
We live in an instant-on world, mobile, connected, and fluid. Competing in this world takes a special kind of workplace technology that adapts to change, that allows seamless and personalized interaction. Introducing Workplace 360, HP's full lifecycle desktop management solution, delivered as a service. User subscriptions allow you to gain financial control and flexibility. The Instant On Enterprise is here. Are you ready? Visit hp.com for answers. We live in an Instant On world, mobile and connected. To compete, you want data center flexibility so you can adapt quickly to changing business needs while keeping information safe. Introducing Enterprise Cloud Compute Services, HP's solution for managing secure servers, storage, and networks, delivered as a service. Pay only for what you need. Create order out of chaos. The Instant On Enterprise is here. Are you ready? Start shaping your cloud at hp.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to CIO Talk Radio. To learn more about the show, please visit www.ciotalkradio.com. If you have a question or comment, call toll-free 1-866-472-5790. Now back to the show, here's Sanjo Gall. Welcome back, Jim. So we have a person who is all, uh, all ready to go, wants to change, perhaps finds you and or other groups that are available to coach or teach him, but somehow feels that his current environment, his or her current environment is a constraint and or is not able to insulate from it or change the environment. How do you, how do you assess this situation? Um, great question, and one that probably uh, a lot of people face, that situation. I think it's a couple of things. You know, so if the person has the initiative and, and really you know, wants to take it to the next level, uh, that's the, certainly a, a uh, very, very powerful first step. But if the external environment, if you would, is not uh, conducive, uh, it's almost, uh, well, part of it is patience. Right, because it, it's it's amazing how environments change quickly, and I, I kind of think of it as a uh, you know deliberately waiting for the opportunity, and you know almost like a bobcat in the, in the weeds waiting for a rabbit to come by, uh, you know they're they're ready, they're just waiting for the opportunity, and so about getting ready is you know uh, you have your mentor and all that, but it's also about networking, and networking is very very important, especially as you get closer to the top job in IT is because uh, through that, you know, not only do you get exposure to uh, different ideas and uh, new advice, but you also get exposed to opportunities, be it inside the company or in or outside the company, that uh, allows you to create the external environment you want so that you can and get ahead. You know, it's, it's, it's a matter of how you look at it. You could look at it for a scarcity mentality or an abundance mentality. And if you make up your mind you're going to look at it for an abundance mentality, you're going to behave that way. And through networking, continual learning, uh, continue looking for experiences. You know, I, I, um, I'm a CIO here at Chubb for four years now, and June was my predecessor, and June took it upon herself to uh, groom a lot of folks to be the potential CIO for Chubb when she moved on. And that's one of the things that she would coach us is about, you know, as she just mentioned earlier, get out there and, you know, do the job and, and behave as if you're a CIO. Uh, and we would do that. 
And, you know, it's certainly advice I took very clearly is that, um, you know, if I were a CIO, in that case, if I were June, what decision would I make? How would I behave? And that starts to become visible. And uh, so it's the persona you create by having what I'll call that abundance mentality as well as networking and being coachable. Just continue, continue to uh, be patient and understand that it may be a, a marathon versus a sprint, but nonetheless, uh, if you're patient, you'll get there. So, Sashi, how would you uh, basically take that person who has been told to go assume the role and go out to start also feeling the accountability so that they live it? It's not that they're getting into the character as if they are playing a stage show. Mm. It is actually in action. How can a person or do you think a person is going to uh, deliver the same results, behave the same way when they rarely wear the hat versus they're wearing an assumed hat? Yeah, uh, the I mean this this is actually a test of character to some extent as well, uh, because quite often, uh, because quite often when people don't have the authority or the power, they behave one way, and when they do have the authority and power, they behave totally differently. So it's up to the leader, who is the mentor in this case, to identify what type of individual this person is. And I think that can only be identified through, I would say, a series of tests, trials, or examples, or opportunity for the individual to work with some of your significant business partners that you have made a, a, an impression on, a positive impression on. So it, it's a matter of trying, testing, and coaching. And that has to be a, 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 an engagement both the parties are, are interested in pursuing. Um, I mean, it's basically, it, it, it takes two to tango type of thing, right? It's not enough. The mentor is all very interested, and, and, the, and the prospect is not, and vice versa. So it, it has to be a certain investment of time and certain in, investment of honest, brutal feedback as to what's important to be able to fully develop that individual. But at the end of the day, there are many people in my organization looking at the, the amount of work that needs to go, get done and the amount of energy it takes to maintain these relationships outside through the business community as well as your business partners in your in, in your organization. Uh, some people say, well, I would rather just be a technologist and do some programming or you know manage a small project here or there as opposed to being a CIO. Uh, and that's nothing wrong with that. The earlier you can identify what your interests are your, and, and what you're willing to, in a sense, uh, make available from your from your time and your effort, uh, that kind of determines early on whether one wants to become a CIO in an organization. June, if you were to inventory the fears, uncertainties, doubts, weaknesses, incompetencies, and many other negative emotions that somebody could carry while they have a desire to get to the next level and become a, uh, an IT leader, a successful one, what are those typically, and are those something that you can, you know, perhaps quickly inventory, and is that a common denominator that you see, or is that more of an exception of this versus the rule? So I see uh, several things that are appear to be common denominator, uh, denominators, and in fact, I'd say people who don't have some of these are, are the exception uh, rather than the rule. Uh, one is that I, I think people find it, difficult to see all of the facets of their character, to see all that they can 
be comfortable being, right? They, they have typecast themselves at some point in time, um, and they, they don't realize how flexible they can be um, and um, how, how broad they, uh, they can be in terms of their tolerance and their ability to fit in in different scenarios. Um, and that's uh, like any muscle, you know, that's something that can be exercised. Um, and it's uh, something that they can be brought to, to see. And one of those uh, areas, for example, is, you know, executive presence. People feel you either have it or you don't have it, when in fact there are ways in which people can be coached around clearly improving their executive uh, presence, developing it, um, and uh, making it more visible. So that's one thing. Um, I think uh, one of the fears, and this was... Um, was just mentioned, um, which is a fear of loss of balance, you know, um, th- that uh, the sacrifice is going to be um, uh, so large that they'll not have balance in their life. Most especially, uh, they don't seem to mind giving up their personal time, but they do mind giving up family time, um, and that's a great fear. And there's this thought that people have that they can achieve a balanced life versus, you know, balance being a, ber- a verb where you're constantly balancing between the two um, and, and uh, moving your emphasis from one to the other and trying to um, achieve a state of uh, balance. So th- that's a fear and, again, something that people, it's very personal. People have to decide what are they willing to give up, what are they willing to sacrifice, how good are they at self-moderating their behaviors. So don't you think, June, that there's a price to be paid regardless? So if somebody says, I want my personal time, I want to see sunshine, and I also want to be a top-shelf CIO, it doesn't all come in one bucket. You know, I would have said at one time that there's um, a price to be paid, and if you want to be a CIO, you know, you're going to pay that price. I look at people who report to the CIO and people who report to those people now and say they're already struggling. You know, so I'm not sure the CIO has any less, uh, has any more of a, a struggle in terms of achieving that balance between personal and work. Um, it's just different, as was just mentioned. It's where do you want to place your attention? You're going to have your attention on things like relationships and business strategy and things of that sort, and you're going to have to move some of it away from technology. So it's not a matter of putting more time in. It's matter. It's a matter of putting your time in on different things. So, Jim, when you became the CIO from the second-in-command, did you see yourself growing an inch taller in multiple areas or something which the pressure increased so your balance started getting uh, lesser or more compared to what it was earlier? Yeah, another good question. Uh, I definitely grow a few inches taller in many, <laughs> in many ways. You know, one of the things, as I mentioned earlier, you know, June uh, was uh, very, very good at you know grooming successors, and you know uh, she worked with us uh, three years, two and a half of which uh, she was a CIO, and then you know I was fortunate enough to be the one to uh, take her place. And she just uh, became a safety net for the next few months. And what, you know, that, those two and a half years of doing my day job and also uh, 
doing uh, the stretch assignments that June would would give us, and and you know uh, developing myself and being developed through others uh, was uh, quite uh, taxing. But taxing in a way that you know, no matter if I got the job or not, I was going to be a better person. Uh, and I was very uh, pleased as I took on the CIO role that the transition, I think Jim would agree with this, was uh, quite smooth, and uh, I hit the road running, and that has a lot to do with, uh, you know, June's coaching and, and uh, prepping me for it. But once I got in the job, you know, I actually found my balance uh, to actually increase versus decrease, but that's a function of uh, what it took to get there in terms of, you know, the growth and all that. I found I had more control over um, my calendar, so to speak, but I had less control over um, my work. And to June's point, I became that much more of an influencer now. So that was more, you know, pushed me a little bit out of my comfort zone. Felt I got there nicely over over the right amount of time. You know, the uh, corporate politics, you know, as you get higher and higher, certainly increases. Uh, definitely grew a couple inches there because that you really can't uh, experience until you get the job, although there's a lot of good preparatory assignments for that also. So, um, but I do think I agree with June wholeheartedly that, you know, the day job of uh, direct reports to the CIO and direct reports to them uh, are just as intense and maybe in certain cases more intense depending on what your role is. So, uh, it's not saying the CIO is, doesn't have a balance challenge. It's just that it's not the first time they see that balance challenge. Let's take a quick break, listeners. We'll be right back. Uh, Sasi, the question here I'd like to pose is, why is this leadership development so uh, few and far between places and or forums? Some, are them, uh, some of them are good. Some of them are lackluster, not providing the stellar performance that you would expect and not churning out the right level of leaders. Is this something which truly is just being done uh, because the organizations and the community in general does not feel that we have a dearth of right level of leaders, or perhaps this will just be an organic approach to building leaders versus having to take a conscious uh, set of steps to building those set of leaders. Why why is this not taken as uh, as high a priority as revenue and shareholder value and everything? Because at the end of the day, these leaders are the ones who make all these dreams come true. Please stay tuned. We'll be right back and explore. We live in an instant-on world, mobile and connected. To compete, you want data center flexibility so you can adapt quickly to changing business needs while keeping information safe. Introducing Enterprise Cloud Compute Services, HP solution for managing secure servers, storage, and networks delivered as a service. Pay only for what you need. Create order out of chaos. The instant-on enterprise is here. Are you ready? Start shaping your cloud at hp.com. We live in an instant-on world, mobile, connected, and fluid, competing in the... When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. We live in an instant-on world, mobile, connected, and fluid. Competing in this world takes a special kind of workplace technology. 
that adapts to change, that allows seamless and personalized interaction. Introducing Workplace 360, HP's full lifecycle desktop management solution, delivered as a service. User subscriptions allow you to gain financial control and flexibility. The Instant On Enterprise is here. Are you ready? Visit hp.com for answers. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to CIO Talk Radio. To learn more about the show, please visit www.ciotalkradio.com. If you have a question or comment, call toll-free 1-866-472-5790. Now back to the show, here's Sanjo Gall. Welcome back. So, Sasi, the question here is that why is leadership development such a given a stepchild uh, treatment as compared to other initiatives which may have a direct impact on top-line growth and or bottom-line savings in an organization? And even as a community, there are a few volunteer organizations taking this on versus Mm -hmm. taking it as like, you know, management courses, there are so many. But leadership Mm -hmm. development courses, few and far between, they're seen as electives perhaps, or, or maybe you don't spend as much time on it. Yeah, um, and I, I think what happens in under economic hard times, everybody looks at what is contributing to direct profit margins versus what is viewed as an expense. Well, uh, so quite often, unfortunately, some of the organizations treat training their employees as an expense, and as a result, because they, they have to wait maybe a longer period of time for the return on that investment, and sometimes that return might not even happen. But so it, the more progressive organizations, regardless of economic times, spend a reasonable amount of their revenue in training programs and development programs. Now, having said that, like, as, like we were talked about earlier, um, in order for a person to develop or to be trained, it has to be a, a mutually agreeable uh, avenue. There are some people who want to be trained and willing to take the initiative and the effort required, and others are not. But it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's up to management to offer that. When I was a CIO, what I did was, in order to improve the technical skill sets of our organization, I made sure that we had contracts and collaborations in place where people could advance their technical skills. But by the same token, we also had opportunities, opportunities for people to pursue careers in management. But the thing is, you have to have an able partner and an equal participant on on the other side to make this thing work. And ultimately, I always believe, regardless how well you're able to use your learning, it has to be a passion that people have. Learning has to be a lifelong passion. And you can see those types of individuals. I would rather hire a person who is who's motivated and motivated to learn on a continuous manner rather than showing up on the first day with all the skills and refuse to change and learn. Uh, because ultimately the person who's willing to continuously change and learn is the one who is going to be the most successful, not only for themselves from a personal basis, but also help the organization. Now, having said that, there are also a lot of volunteer organizations that are out there, many of the CIOs and as part of the SIM program too, uh, offering mentorship and coaching. And so, again, employees should try to make avail of those types of professional organizations in which this type of opportunity in terms of mentoring and coaching is readily available. So, June, we are referring, and uh, good Sasi that mentioned about SIM and RLF program, which is used to uh, 
in a way, it, the mission is to generate the next generation of IT leaders, it seems like. Mm-hmm. As you are building that group and or that, that function where people can, can learn, where do you see the opportunities? What you've done has worked. What you've done still requires improvement. And what is your appeal to the rest of the world, which is not part of the SIM and or is building uh, associations or, or, or forums such as RLF, should be doing in order to get the best outcome? So um, I think RLF has been incredibly successful. I mean, this is its 20th year, um, graduated over 3,500 people, very, very successful. Um, people call it a life-changing experience. For me, I like to use it most it, just in the way that was just described. In RLF, we focus on making sure that people are self-aware, that they're ready to change, and that they're relearning how to learn. And if they can do this, then they can be better leaders. They can learn to lead um, and improve their leadership abilities. Uh, that, that said, if you, can, if you can use RLF as a, a starter, you know, you're taking someone now and you want to bring them to the next level of performance, whatever that may be, wherever they are within their um, career path, you use RLF as a starter to get them open, to get them aware, to get them ready to change, to have them reawaken that desire to learn and, then that, and that continuous learning um, habit, and then um, have, they start changing their, uh, their style, their uh, capabilities, they broaden their capabilities, they become more flexible. Uh, these are the things that I, that I think are most valuable in our life. It just, it's the starter to anyone's next step. It's worked very, very successfully. In Chubb, we actually also brought it in-house, in-house to put numbers of people through so that they could have a common language, a common experience, and that they could build uh, trust, bonds uh, across the organization that extended beyond silos and enabled Chubb to begin several enterprise efforts that wouldn't have been possible without something like an RLF. Great. Now, one final question, Jim, 45 seconds for you. What do you suggest to the organizations who may not have really uh, started such programs or are just doing it, but it's close to a lip service versus an actual working program to build next generation of IT leaders? Uh, Great question. I'll talk quickly. You know, I want to pick up right where June left off. Uh, Excuse that phone ringing. Uh, You know, uh, a program like RLF, where it talks about the authentic leader. In Chubb, we sent over 150 people. Uh, well, well, uh, uh, a great investment on our part. Uh, also, being part of the SIM organization itself and the networking and the programs involved, you know, uh, uh, certainly help uh, give perspective. And also, one of the things that's very critical with something like, a, you know, being part of a SIM organization and network is you get to realize you actually, it actually builds your confidence because you can compare yourself against your peers and understand they have the same challenges that you have and that we're all in this together. Uh, stretch assignments, uh, ones that really, you know, uh, you can see what the person can do but also allows them to grow uh, is very important. Um, and, you know, holding them accountable for their own growth and get them to the point, like through an RLF program, to, uh, you know, understand that learning is continuous and want to learn. 
um, understanding where your weaknesses are, you know, help them understand what their weaknesses are and how to supplement those weaknesses, I think are critical. And I think it has to become, you know, one of the things that I like about what June started and, 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 and I continued was the leadership development through like RLF where, you know, a, a common uh, perspective is, you know, I less have to give mandates now and it's more about uh, everyone exercising their leadership to get us to the place we want to be. And it's, uh, it's quite enabling to me. So the investment is uh, very, very well worth it. And uh, it's a matter of really treating it as something, that, as an investment, not something that, you know, just kind of has an informal approach to it or a one-off person-by-person approach to it. Thank you so much, uh, June, Sassy, and Jim, for taking the time. You're quite welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Now, listeners, hope you enjoyed the conversation. Hope the next generation of IT leaders is no longer a dream. It is going to become a reality with people like Jim June and Sasi, as well as organizations such as Society of Information Management and their RLF program. There are many more out there. Uh, if you have any questions or comments, please send us to views at ciotalkradio.com. That is views at ciotalkradio.com. Thank you again for listening to CIO Talk Radio. This is Sanjog All, your talk show host. Till next week, take care and God bless. Thank you for tuning in to CIO Talk Radio. To learn more about the show, please visit www.ciotalkradio.com. Join Sanjal Gall next Wednesday at 9 a.m. Central, 7 a.m. Pacific for another hour of CIO Talk Radio. CIO Talk Radio is brought to you by Citrix, offering go-to assist, remote support made easy. CIO Talk Radio is sponsored by HP Data Center Services, Cloud Computing Services, and Workplace 360 Services. Are you ready for an instant-on 